This is an NAC podcast. Hello, and welcome to Explore the Symphony. This is Marjolaine Fournier. I'm sitting here with Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler and our subject today, Schumann, Robert Schumann and his second symphony. Uh, Schumann's life has all the great elements, romantic, very romantic, his love uh, affair with his wife and their marriage, his, his possible madness, the struggle to to beat this, to survive this, um, the short life, money trouble, everything is in there. Um, so by by what end, wh where do we begin? I will begin with a word by the great writer Schiller. Schiller, who is a little bit ahead of, of Schumann, but you know, and along with Goethe, one of the two great com writers of that time. And there's a very short sentence by, by Schiller who says, one has to burn to be. And you know the life of Schumann is is burning, is burning. He was probably the last of those romantic destinies who are quickly accomplished and then soon abolished, as you say. You know, mm. forty-six years old. These are hallucinated beings dedicated to a precocious death because 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 they refuse a world without mystery. They refuse irreversible time. And we engage in their quest, in their quest of, of infinity, not only, not only in their work, but also in their life. And for some of them, in their reason, like Schumann. It, it's almost like, well, f first, the way you're talking about him, that he knew that he wouldn't last that long. He lives so intensely that it's, it's like he knows the end is is close, but also, if you live that hard, the flame eventually it burns out. It burns out, and suddenly the notes don't come back to your mind. The notes become blank notes. There is there's no melody anymore. And his last work, and even in the in the slow movement of his violin concerto, which is one of the last but one of the last works, there is that kind of uh, uh, the emptiness that is installed, and he knows it. He knows it. His works are not able anymore to, uh, to, to, to make him live. To make him live from the inside, obviously. I mean, we're not talking about money. Money, you know, today, today people, uh, people think, oh, how much money am I going to make? How am I going to get to the end of this month? These people didn't think about those things. They thought about other things. They thought about being and burning. And that's what the great romantics are about. And so uh, when Schumann finds out, discovers in, in, in all this um, sorrow that invades him, and I'll come back to the word sorrow, um, uh, in that all this sorrow, um, when he discovers this, he tries to suicide. Uh-huh. And, you know, and that is already in 1854. 1854, he's 44 years old. He has seven children with Clara. So there were all kinds of other reasons. But he is what what is called in, in, in psychiatry, cyclothomic. Cyclothomic means that you are, you are 
torn. Ah, there is a great word. There you are torn between your, your sorrow and your happiness. And I'm using the word sorrow very, very clearly because I, uh, you can say I'm, uh, I suffer. Sufferance. I mean, you know, Chopin suffers. Uh, Schubert suffers. Uh, they they have this also relationship with death, and this is what romanticism is about. And in our time, our romanticism also, you know, the people that have this little this little inkling of romanticism have have a have an interesting relationship with death, which makes life much more interesting, which is the, the conclusion, which, which makes life what it is, in fact. Um, so um, this is a little parenthesis, uh, but, no, but um, sorrow for is sure, a word. sorrow, yeah. you can say in English, you can say, I suffer because I suffer from something. I know where I was hurt. I, I know uh, that I have a toothache, <laughs> I, 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 uh, but you can't say I sorrow. Ah, sorrow, true. sorrow is an element that comes out of nowhere, from the past, from foreign lands. Oh, how many works did Schumann compose called from foreign lands? So he's searching for this, for this sorrow, but this sorrow is masters him. He is the object of sorrow. If you suffer, you know. Uh, what the object is of sufferance. <laughs> Sorrow, you don't know where the object is. So um, I'm going a little bit into this because it, it, it is so important for his music and for his musical writing, for the way he composes, for the way he composes with, with those holes in it, with these, these accelerations, these decelerations, these, these moments where you think this, it, this is finished and it's not finished and or where you don't expect the the the, the moment the, the, that it finishes with empty notes 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 that should not be played in the score isn't that extraordinary emptiness black holes black holes so in this world in this world of composing which is uh, um, which is very schumannian what we are talking about today is his relationship to the Second Symphony. And the Second Symphony, I say, is a very important work within his symphonic works, perhaps the most important one, because it is on the edge of one of his great depressions and the way to get out of it. And writing about writing this music he got out of his depression. He says it at a given moment. I see, he says it somewhere. I mean, I, I can tell you that, that, and I'm quoting him, that it's the resistance of my mind which is manifest here and that I try to battle myself against, I battle against my state of being. So he was in a depression. The symphony will get him out. The symphony will get him out of it. Schumann is within the symphony and at the same time he has the classical side which he has to answer also.
It's metaphysical. It's absence of suffering. It is a pulsion. It's a pulsion of death. That's within you, within you. And when that takes over, of course, you know, it, it goes so well together with the definition we can give on music, but romantic music, obviously. Music is the pursuit of oneself or in oneself of a lost voice. It's when you lose your voice. You, you know, a few seconds ago, you, we were talking about phantom notes, those notes that don't exist and that the last works were really phantom works. And, and, uh, and Clara will take the last piano work out of the, uh, the catalog right away. She knows. She knew that last work. The only one who is, of course, a friend of the family, who will take that work back in is, uh, is, um, is Brahms. And he will write variations for two pianos. And then, of course, with all the music that goes beyond it, that goes with it. That with Schumann, there is nothing anymore. It's like, um, it's like a student's first work. Uh, the emptiness has set in. So, w what happened is that... Uh, Music, the beginning of the phantom notes, came at the same time, in fact, <laughs> with the music. When, when music was fully in him, but he had the strength to fight it. He had the strength to create musical works. It is the day that he couldn't use music anymore to pay off death. <laughs> then that he knew that he wanted suicide. And, and it's when he's writing that very last piano work. He knows. I, he, he, knows he knows that it's so going. So, oh, if I'm not mistaken, the 27th of February, 1950, uh, 1854. It's 27th of February. It's carnival in the Soldorf. It's raining. He, he puts everything in order on his desk. He was a very meticulous man also. His cigars, he smoked cigars. He had put them all in their boxes, in place. His music, his, his writings. And he gets out on his slippers, mm. like a phantom, and walks towards the Rhine and, uh, and pays his way to the other side, the other side. The other side, the other side of the Rhine, of course, but the Rhine is a metaphysical element within his work also, and so he he pays with a handkerchief which he gives to the the guardian of the of the bridge of that bridge that goes over the Rhine, and he gets to the middle of it, he jumps into the water. And the legend is that he was wearing his night clothes, his slippers, but his evening yes. clothes. That's why he didn't have any money. He didn't have any money with him. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so they, 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 they fish him out of the... Uh, these are fishermen. Uh, and they fish him out of the Rhine. And while they are doing something else, he jumps back into the Rhine. I mean, it was a very clear suicide attempt. He wants and to go. And then when he gets home, he looks at Clara and says to Clara... I want to be interned because I'm becoming dangerous for you and for the children. 
tell us what and what Clara you runs were away. She she runs to the neighbors and, uh, really? and she will not see him for the two for two years. She will see him at the very last at the very last moments in 1856. Talk about what he says about the wedding rings. I think that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. uh, well, uh, he uh, he says in uh, one of his letters, um, Clara, I have thrown our wedding ring into the Rhine. Throw yours so that we can find each other. Oh, it's a very, uh, it, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, love story. It's one of the great love stories of the, of the 19th century. And at the same time, it is uh, one of the saddest ones, of course. You know, he lives there with seven children. She was a, she was an enormous pianist, an extraordinary interpreter, um, and uh, a wonderful human being. But you see, all this to say that the definition of music for those romantics is music is what is missing in us. Hmm. Oh, that's in beautiful. French, in French, La musique est ce qui manque, is what missing in us. And the, the creation of music, and I think this is what romantic creativity is about, uh, with Schumann uh, responded to this, uh, you know, this extraordinary space or time he spent on this world, the time that in his music, which is filled with rhythmic holes, uh, with uh, spirals, with sudden accelerations, sudden decelerations, and you know, the, it, with moments that both haunt the listener and exclude the listener. I mean, what is he doing? What is he saying? What, what is happening here? And that's why it's so difficult to interpret Schumann. Well, and I have to tell you, Jean-Jacques, that, uh, and I'll be very sincere, the first times that I had to play or listen to Schumann, I didn't get it. I, I thought it was a little bit heavy, a little bit boring, a little bit emotionless, a little bit just big. And it's later when I came across good interpretations and once you listen to the piano things you know but it's hard to find an interpretation that's not overbearing and that doesn't just disguise the whole thing in heaviness schumann cannot be interpreted schumann cannot be interpreted because the the interpreter has to be interpreted by 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 schumann so you have to let you be taken you have to have this extraordinary musical strength and understanding to let yourself be taken by this the rhythm of this music these 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 holes in the music these s sudden stops the the the, the and uh, what is interesting and I, i'm just putting this between brackets for the moment is, is that in the second symphony he has to work all this all this coming out of his depression within a classical structure a classical structure in, in which he's going to try to uh, to find the same kind of music as his the, the one he admires most, Beethoven, and his friend Mendelssohn. And so it's, there is going to be lots of Mendelssohn, but it, formally, structurally, um, uh, also in the enthusiasm with, with Beethoven, the incredible enthusiasm. Beethoven's joy is, is pure joy. But Beethoven, too, suffered from what the Germans call Himmelhochjausen zum Tote betrübt. That means, you know, 
being happy to the sky, to heaven, and then being sad, deadly sad. I mean, so bestowed, betrubed. Uh, it's a, a Schumann had that also. Uh, that he had these these two worlds that came in. He had over the years between eighteen twenty six and when he was sixteen, and when his sister and his father died, and eighteen fifty four when he attempted that suicide, well, he had several big periods of depression, big mm. periods of depression. And, uh, and, and, but at the same time, in between, when he is very happy, like in 1840, he will compose 136 leader out of the 246 he composed all throughout his life. I mean, so then it just burst open. His, his string quartets have been composed in a few weeks' time. It's, it's, it's funny that you say his sorrow was him and he had joy. But if you some of the music that he wrote is so such leadership in music. Uh, if I'm, I'm thinking about the horn piece, you know, the four horns. Yes. Like you want to conquer the world. You want to just go for it. And his this symphony, which is in C major, which is absurdly positive. Right. It's there's there's. There's no drama in really if you uh, in my head anyways C major is clearly and the rhythms he uses throughout the symphony that's positive stuff even Very his slow stuff. movement is is tender it's it's sad or filled with that sorrow that you describe uh, melancholy maybe but tenderness yeah. yes 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 but it depends also on how the conductor uh, t it takes up this work. I mean, this right. is this is so important. I mean, I have heard many great conductors conduct this work, and I have heard uh, very poor performances by some of the best orchestras because um, I I didn't call it a poor performance, but it was a a, a strict performance under Karajan with the Berlin Philharmonic, for example, and we had the Second Symphony by by Schumann, and which was very classical and very Beethoven-like, and that was that was it. That was it. And then you had Bernstein with this Dionysian vision and, uh, who, who, who pulls on the bases of the orchestra and who, who, who gives that massive sound by the, by the, uh, uh, the, 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 the horns and, the, and, and all the... Uh, and the brass guys. The brass section, yes, yes, sure. yes. Um, and, and then you have people like Paul Paré or people like uh, Giuseppe Sinopoli, who um, play it with, um, oh, how am I going to call it, hallucinating precision, much more than playing it right. It's a hallucinating precision. It goes much far, further. You know, this is a not only a musical point of view, but also a psychological point of view. And let me come back to that in a few seconds. Uh, um, he translates, they, Paré and Sinopoli, translate, for example, that the, the feverish part in Schumann, because these are fevers, you know, when he, when he composes. And if they mark the accents, the, 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 the syncopations, there's a maximum of clarity and a maximum of power. 
clarity and power at the same time. What you were saying about the heaviness, that's so true in so many, many, many uh, interpretations, because they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Um, it's not for nothing that somebody else who is very interested in uh, the relationship between notes and psychology, who, whose notes, I mean, I will say it differently, whose notes represent the psychology of the composer. The, the, the color, of, the use of color uh, of, the, of the instruments are not chosen in the wild. They, they express something that the composer wants to say. The first ones who did that were Berlioz and Schumann. And the one who goes on with that is Mahler. And it's not for nothing that Mahler recomposes, reorchestrates the four symphonies by Schumann, because he knows exactly. And they're much lighter. <laughs> they're much lighter from the beginning, which right. is, of course, his way of going for it. So you have this hallucinating precision. You, you know, it, of the second movement is a scale so. It is at a speed, which we call in French, un train d'enfer. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> it the, goes yes. at a speed, at a train d'enfer. And so yes. you have these abrupt uh, co uh, contrasts in the first movement, the mad run in the second one. And then suddenly this extraordinary, in contrast, this extraordinary... Uh, uh, Tenderness, as you said, a tenderness, but tenderness with sorrow in the background. This is a, a sorrow-tainted tenderness, if you want to, yeah. uh, to have everything at the same time. And then you have this hybrid and passionate finale. Oh, with, yeah. uh, with somebody like, like Sidopoli, who gets the hybrid elements out of it also. It's not only Beethoven. In, it is, there are other elements. So... <laughs> uh, in that last movement, for example, I mean, it's, uh, if one can find the recording, and I, I think it's with a, 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 the Berliners, I'm not sure, um, um, it, for the moment, it just escapes my mind, but the last movement, um, it, it's anguished. It's an anguished happiness. <laughs> you know, that's what Sinopoli sure. can do. By yeah. the way, Sinopoli was a psychiatrist himself. He had studied as a psychiatrist before he became a conductor. He preferred music because he, he knew that he could express himself most probably better Boy, than there's a psychiatrist. There's so many there jokes in there, Jean-Jacques. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yes. So but anyhow, the last movement, he, the way he does mm -hmm. it is, is uh, anguish. The, and the earth opens under your feet. You know. But you have uh, to keep running. That's the thing with that man. You have to keep running, and that's what he's doing, and that's what he wrote. I'm, I made it thanks to this work. That's fantastic. Uh, it's, a, it's an extraordinary symphony. I know I have a version that I like by John Elliott Gardner. Yes. And what he writes is that um, sometimes you find these symphonies heavy because you're using the big size, like you were saying, mm -hmm. Berlin and Vienna and mm -hmm. um, New York, I suppose. Uh, Big, big, big string sections. You know, if you reduce things to what Schumann had in front of him, there's less overproducing of sound and more balance, maybe. And maybe by reducing the forces, like what we're going to do actually with the orchestra here, might be interesting because our forces are quite small. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You get much more of the music out of it. You know, it becomes transparent. You know, what the composer wants, much more transparent than what the composer wants. There is this other fabulous example. Uh, 
um, Mahler's Song of the Earth, which has been um, reduced by uh, Schoenberg. And uh, it's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. It's for a, for a few instruments and the two singers, obviously. Right. And you have a total perhaps of 10, 12 instruments. You must have played that under Mario Bernardi in the year 2000. Yes, Bernardi, one of his uh, last concerts here at that time, uh, conducted that, that work. There's something to be said for that, eh? Smaller oh, yeah. forces. Yes. So... What's also interesting uh, when when we look at this uh, now I we talked about this before and and but you've convinced me I thought that his madness was something that had been caused by maybe a physical ailment that affected his brain mm -hmm. like there there are two schools really one of them is that he was sort of bi bipolar mm -hmm. and the other school is that he had syphilis that maybe the treatment for syphilis hurt his uh, finger because it was mercury or something like that, but also that eventually the syphilis affected his brain and that the symptoms, if you look backwards, that's what this was all about. But you're convincing me because this darkness exists since he's aware of himself. Yeah. Yeah, it inhabits 16, him. When he's 16 and, and, you know, it's the death of people around him. You know, it's it's the battle. It's the battle with the, the presence of death, the presence of death. And mm. that's what sorrow is about. It suddenly over, overtakes you. I mean, um, I very often say, you know, that everything I do, I do for the last time. Um, and it's something that, that Schumann could have said. I mean, this is, you, you do things so that, that death doesn't take over. Oh. And the only way to pay your dues to death is to compose music for Schumann. And when he can't do it anymore, when the phantom notes come in, he knows, and he's no—he's not crazy. He asks to be interned in that institution called Endenich. At the last days, when he is there, he will—he repeats the same things. But who would not repeat the same things when uh, one is interned, when one is in a kind of jail? I mean, <laughs> anybody who who is in a in a closed, very closed environment and alone. But he has a little organ there, and he plays Bach. He plays Johann Sebastian Bach until the last days. So he knows very well. He talks about flowers, the importance of flowers, the flowers, the days of happiness in Dusseldorf, days of happiness in Leipzig. Mm. It's a very, uh, uh, and that's what people people heard him do. And I've read also, you know, quite some documents of the people that were uh, uh, specialists in, in medicine and uh, and psychiatrists and. Um, uh, you're right, there are two schools, but I don't believe a word of it. I think uh, Schumann knew very well and guided himself to the end. But the day music was not there anymore, the day music had really had flattened out, yeah. it was a f that, that last work is a flat work. There's nothing in there anymore. The flame, the he, flame has gone out. He couldn't out, pay yeah. his debt to death. He couldn't cross the river anymore. So he jumped into it. I will throw in something. A last, last little thing by a poet of the 19th century 
who was interned for about 25 years in a tower, and his name is Hölderlin. And Hölderlin writes in one of his poems, we are a sign, almost no meaning anymore, no suffering. We are and have almost lost the language in a foreign country. Schumann lost his language in a foreign country. Thank you, Jean-Jacques. Thank we'll you. talk again soon. This has been an NEC podcast. You'll find more NEC podcasts at necpodcasts.ca. You can subscribe to all of the NEC's podcasts for free in the iTunes Music Store. Just search for National Arts Center. For free access to over 250 full-length, high-quality recordings of the NEC Orchestra, from Bach to Bartok, check out necmusicbox.ca. Send your comments and questions to necpodcasts at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Goodbye for now from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.